Listening to Vince do it for 52 episodes kind of helps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the countdown to doom. What you hear is five, four, three. All right, we'll do it again because Glenn said something. Five, <laughs> four, three. <laughs> Always out of trouble with threes. I know, I'll start lower down. Five, three, sir. Three. <laughs> well, with Skype, it's hard to see the silent two fingers at the end. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I, I get the one finger, though, so. <laughs> Get, get the audio description. Anyway, By the way, that's as DM usual, Mike. the Fab Four are here, DM Mike, along with DM Glenn. I got the figure again. I don't get it. Hi. How are you doing? <laughs> DM Liz. Hello. And DM Jim. Hi, I'm Jim, and I'm a Dungeon-holic. Hi, Jim. Hi, Hi Jim. Jim. <laughs> <laughs> you got your chips? Yes. <laughs> okay. And this one is all emails, not even any voicemails, just emails, emails, emails. So I just coast back and listen. No. So if you don't like emails, this probably isn't the show for you. Fair but, warning. So, but come back next time, please. Okay. <laughs> Who knows yeah. what wondrous topics we'll cover? Yeah. Yeah, something Arnesian, I imagine. Arnesian? You mean like Arnesian? You mean but we'll like, have to see. You mean like robots with g-strings? No. Oh. Now I gotta go poke my mind's eye out. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what you been doing gaming wise, DM Jim? Oh dudes, um it's been like a week of win for me. Uh we did the uh we had our basic expert game with Angry Monk where we finished up the adventure. Yeah. Right? Yeah, right. No player deaths. I've decided that Glenn's fighter Malachi is my favorite character in that game because that's Malachi. He's to- that's Malachi. Malachi. <laughs> Malachi. Right. We're talking Just about Malachi. mispronouncing stuff before the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's toting around that rune sword that all the bad guys want, so he's are like our XP magnet oh, in the party. Oh great! I only get groupies because because of my sword. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well. Mm-hmm. I feel like a rock star. I, yeah, I missed that game, unfortunately. Because of stupid work. Yeah, but Liz did the best mic. Yeah. Well, we are the mic, Liz. (laughs) We didn't kill your character, so. Yeah. 20 years of marriage. We're kind of a (laughs) gestalt at this point. I was uh, informed that even when I drop my voice an octave to role play Mike's dwarf, I still sound like, what was that phrase again? Ah, yes, an adorable smurf. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. So, I'm, I'm adorable. 
Well, the character well, was already short. So. <laughs> yeah. You are adorable. But, uh, okay, so uh, our Dungeon Crawl Classics campaign, we finally got out of the character funnel, and we all have our first-level characters. We actually – I'm so happy with our group. We, we pulled together and, and had many, actual strategy and, many, and tactics. And how many sessions was this before you got your character? Our total death count out of a town no, – no, 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 no. How many sessions? Six sessions, wow. 47 character deaths. 47? 15.6% of the population of our hometown is gone now because we ran them into the dungeon. Stop playing wow. a traveler at that point. It's, it's less How leave. hack masterian. Right. So I'm like, okay. Town we should be renamed Lemming. <laughs> <laughs> We've got our level ones. Time to leave this town while it's still here. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, there's still more well, another town's economy. <laughs> yeah, and uh, last night the uh, guy that runs our friendly local game store, Todd Bunn, ran us all through uh, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks, and we broke it. One of the killer dungeons of all time, How and we broke the dungeon. Barrier Peaks. That's a very good question. There's a 16 year old kid named Caleb who plays, and I love the guy, but he's the guy that's got to go up and poke everything and chop everything immediately, right? Yes. So you're, you know Expedition to the Barrier Peak. So we quickly developed the strategy where the deal was just go ahead and let him do that, and we'll all focus our attention on keeping him alive and just let him kind of headbutt his way through it. So he and I had already cooked up this plan that if the going got tough, he was going to voluntarily let me throw a polymorph other on him. And I'm thinking, well, you know, a dragon, a giant, something with good hit points and good armor class. And he gets uh, in this surgical bay with these crazy surgical robots that are trying to take his organs out, and he's bear-pinned by one of them with a 18 double zero strength. And I go, hmm, all right, it's time. Polymorph other, rust monster. Aye. Well, and that was, joints, that, actually. that was the end of us worrying about killer robots or going through any doors we didn't have key cards for. That's we just, mm, rock, that's we it. just wrecked, wrecked the level after that. I'm pl- I know I'm- what Mike would have done yeah. if he was DM. Y- y- yeah, we're probably already thinking the same. What would I do, Liz? <laughs> you would say it's stainless steel. Exactly. I, Especially the I medical knew it. stuff. I knew it. Don't give our, don't give our DM any ideas. <laughs> stainless steel, you rat. <laughs> well, that yeah. – the, the, I mean, we were all very happy and pleased with ourselves, but I'm like, the kid's like, can I stay a Rust Monster? I'm like, no, I don't think this is going to work two games in a row. <laughs> I want to be a Rust Monster forever. <laughs> now, Rust so, yeah, but it's against... hard to use magic items at that point. Yeah, but now Rust Monsters against Iron Golems, that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be nice. Anyway. That so almost that... makes me want to buy, get one and train one. <laughs> that was my epic week of win in gaming. <laughs> Liz? Um... Well, I played in that same Angry Monk online game where, as has already been mentioned, I played my own character and I also played Mike's character since he was not able to join us for that session. My character, Uh, the Smurf. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But you're a pretty kick-butt sort of Smurf. Um, Not as much so as usual because I was rolling the dice for you and... My dice all hate me to some extent, so right. I, I maybe have a 40% hit ratio when rolling a d20, no matter what the FACO is. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we did that, and yesterday we had our usual weekly 2E game, so did that. Um, that's yeah. pretty much it. <laughs> I, I promised him I'd talk about him on the show. So oh, well, well my, I'll be my with thing. you come up. 
it's Stewie, it's not classic, but I'll just say this one thing. We're on a boat. We have hired, a, or we own a ship, Look a out. cog. And, a, and a this was cog. where things go wrong. It's always whenever we're we on ships. We have a crew. We have all this stuff. Our captain is a PC magic user who has navigation. And we're sailing, and we get lost. Ugh. And he's and we're like, okay, well, you know, we used, he uses his navigation to get us back on that. Did you buy a sextant? Oh, wow, that's a it tough DM. Didn't, it didn't come with one. No, like, like well, wouldn't we have provided for us by the clergy of Lathander? <laughs> he's got navigation. Wouldn't he have gone? Hmm. It's like what we went that last time. You don't have any any uh, jolly boats on your ship. So we all had to go on on a kayak just to get to the beach. Oy. I'm like, ah! Okay. Have I mentioned how much I hate non-weapon proficiency? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I really do. Thus endeth the rant. And, Yeah. As far as classic, I finished my ma- module for North Texas RPG Con, but uh-huh. I don't think I don't know that they're going to accept it now. Why? I can't get Bad Mike or Doug to write me back. Oi. I mean, if they're not interested, that's fine. I'll send it over to Troll Lord or Goblinoid Games or something. But I just like to know. Yeah. And it's so, like- Bad Mike, if you're listening to the show, write me. <laughs> Call me. Yeah, we, got, we got what what four or five weeks before the convention. Yeah, yeah, it's getting down to the wire here. Oh, I mean, it's ready. I just, you know, I just got a couple of questions regarding the maps and. Gotcha. Anyway. All right, Glenn. What have you oh, oh, I've had a week. Why do please keep it to D and D? I no. Um, <laughs> I've had a I've had a week of win too. Well, okay, I'm not going to be giving D and D because Friday was my birthday. Um, <laughs> oh, that's not D and D. My birthday, dude. Actually, that's, okay, a, a birthday is an exception. Right. Well, actually, I, 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 I now call I now call what? I was just going to say it's a D and D if you advanced in age category. That's what I was going to say. It's my level up day now. Oh, so I am now I'm now 56 level. All right. So I got you a, get a stronghold. Yeah. Now I got a nice. How's Jim's Ward's, Ward's game then? Huh? Your fifty-six level. Ah, sure. <laughs> so I got a nice new. I got a nice new computer, uh, a couple of DVDs, um, and I'm going to have more tunnels and trolls than I know what to do with. A friend of mine made a copy off the PDF of 5th edition. Another friend bought me 7.5, which is coming from Amazon. And in August, I get the Deluxe Tunnels and Trolls, which I funded the Kickstarter for. So I'm going to be lousy with Tunnels and Trolls for a while. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we got got on the Kickstarter, too. The uh, Saturday D&D game. Um, Gage is out of the out of the campaign. Gage is not playing D and D anymore because of the usual reasons. Um, uh, yeah, that um, sucks. I know. Well, it was his decision. He said, "I don't want to upset my mother anymore." But we decided to okay. retire his character if he gets out of this dungeon. He's already said he wants him. He wants to set up a grocery store, a butcher shop, and a ranch to supply the butcher shop. And I said, "Well, you're going to have enough gold to do whatever the hell you want." So. <laughs> How satanic of him. 
<laughs> is it an evil an ranch? Evil, an evil grocery store? No. Okay. In, in Champions, he wanted his headquarters to be in New Jersey. In D&D, he wants to set up a grocery store. You sure this kid hasn't seen Clerks? Yeah, I don't. Yes, I'm sure. He's not even supposed to be here. But he, this game he, would be great if it wasn't for all the DMs. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, Matt Odinist, um asked, well, where does he want to settle? I said, I don't know. I'll have to add. We pick some. I probably Thunder Rift. He said, dude, Thunder Rift is going to be like the Shire after it was scoured. So I don't think he wants to set up there because you're going to go back and find exactly what happened to Thunder Rift. Oh, then we get to play Gamma World, right? (laughs) (laughs) That or his. And in the midst of the desolation, a grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) The most fortified grocery store in the world. It's got crinolations and (laughs) holes and, you know, you don't like our stuff. We throw some boiling water on you for the roof. Here's a free sample of our of our salad dressing. <laughs> What's in your wallet? Anyway, uh, uh-huh. oh, it also I know you're gonna hate this, Mike, but I we finally came up with a basic between me and Matt plus a few other things came up with a basic version of a gnome. Ooh. Um, and it looks I wouldn't good. kill him. <laughs> well, he's uh, we made him a magic user thief, kind of a jack of all trades type thing. And uh, I showed it to Matt. He did a few tweaks on it. It's basically a combination of top ballista gnome plus Baratista's um, expansion companion stuff plus stuff out of the RC with a couple of tweaks between me and Matt. And we're going to be using that in the game. I so said the next next time my character dies, I'm making a gnome. We're gonna we're gonna road test this thing, stress test. Okay. Let, let me just be clear. I don't personally like gnomes in my campaign world, but if other people like them, I can't imagine why. But if you do, <laughs> knock yourselves out. I you know. I, I kind of gathered that, really. Uh, but, but I'm not going uh, to murder think, them, for example. I, I do think the idea of the making it, I'm assuming this is race as class. Yes. Giving it the magic user thief kind of skill set. Yes. I think that's a I think that's a neat way to differentiate it from say a dwarf which is generally yeah. Mike's main com- complaint about having gnomes is why sh- why do you need gnomes you have dwarves well yeah, there's very little difference dwarf light you know? <laughs> well I noticed I noticed that um, elves were fighter magic users so let's make the gnome a thief magic user mm. uh, we capped it at level ten. So they can only do so much of the thief stuff and so much of the magic stuff. And that's why I said he's kind of a stopgap character, jack of all trades. Um, like the prime requisites, uh, I think nine in, nine in constitution and 13 in intelligence and dexterity. Minimum. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not like trying to make a bard in one E, but. Uh, <laughs> Nothing is like trying to make a bard in one E. <laughs> Oh, and the Saturday game, we killed more giants, Thorky. Revenge of the Giants, where we killed 19 more, and um, we got a lot of gold. You guys are stacking them up like cordwood. Pretty much. We had that shield spell going on again with the spinning hammers. Caught a few of them in there, and, you know, we were, and at one point we finally said, we got to rest. Why? We're getting out of offensive spells. And that was like three hours into the game. Because it's like before that, it's like, I'm running out of offensive spells. Don't worry. The other two have like three fireballs each. Well, so the joy of high level. 
I still think of it as mid-level. To me, high level is like 18, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. But, uh, anyway, that works for you. I mean, generally, like I've said up. before, we've hardly ever – I mean, when I was a teenager, we did it a lot. But I'd say in the past 15 years or so, I've almost – I very rarely run people over 10th to 12th level. Ah, okay. Most people just retire their characters. I mean, there's nothing wrong with high-level play if that's your bag. Well, I've capped out at 10 – and uh, I'm at 10, and he says, do you, do you want to retire? And I says, well, no, I'm, I'm going to play it until, as long as he's still effective. You know, I'll think about it, but maybe like in a few levels or so, you know, I'll probably. Also, if he's running that, compa- is it the companion or, yeah, I think it's the companion cheat. Expansion, where, yeah. Where, yeah, you don't raise in level technically, but you still get bonuses. Yeah, you get like, like damage. To attack and save throws. Yeah, and you only get like, yeah. what, like two hit points per level more per level. Mm-hmm. Something like that. You just but you're go, not truly static. You're still gaining yeah. stuff. But I'm saying, you know, and I told him, you know, an elf in basic at 10th level has no problem standing up to, say, a 15th level human fighter. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not worried. I mean, it may take us forever to level up, but, you know, we can hold our own. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's me. Okay. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention is that Thorkammer sent me a copy of a supplement he's doing for Holmes 77. Hey, I got uh, that too. Port Town? The city of Port Town, which is re- referenced both in the Holmes basic sample dungeon and in his novel Maze of Peril. Oh. So I'm flipping through that and enjoying it. I wonder if it's in Mazes and Perils. Probably not. Don't, mm, don't know. Well, I'm glad that Thorky's doing more Holmes 77 stuff. I was yeah. afraid that he was going to abandon that altogether. Yeah, I'm thinking it's so weird. There's been, you know, whenever somebody does, and it's Holmes 77 and Mazes and Perils, it's almost like somebody does a Holmes clone. People get up all in their face. Yeah, it touches a nerve for some reason. In some people, I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, I just it's a mystery. Yeah, touches a nerve in a good way or a bad way. Bad way. Bad way. Usually, I don't know why. Yeah, oh, it's, it's weird. You could do a BX clone or a Beckme clone or even RC clone until the cows come home, but once you touch homes, it's like, oh, no. How dare you? you know? I'm wondering yeah. if it's because there's a lot of overlap with the 1E community and there's a lot of 1E uber grogs that... Could be, uh, you know. They're guys that, you know, bash Osric because it's not pure enough. Because, you know, they're, they're, uh, all I, I've heard since the beginning was, oh, Holmes is just 1E light, you know. Which, yes and no. Um, if you just take the basic Holmes, I really think there's a lot there that isn't 1E at all. Yeah. Now, Vince, when he did <clears throat> Mazes and Perils, twisted that over to make it more 1E light. True. That's what you want. That's fine. True. That stuff just throws me because I have a hard time wrapping my brain around why the long knives have to come out. Because if you enjoy something, go enjoy it and have fun with it. Why do, why do I care? Yeah. Exactly. I don't know. I mean, I know some of it started, at least that I noticed. I don't know if it was the internet or just because when 3E came out, there was a lot of resentment from the old school community because we all felt we were kind of just left hanging. Yeah. Which is bad enough, but then I'll have all the three years saying, you know, your game is old, your game is crap, you've got to go to the new cool stuff, you know, da-da-da-da-da. That creates some resentment. But at some point, I think the bitterness has gotten too deep. Yeah. 
you know, it, it's it's like okay, but now thanks to the OGL, we've got all our stuff now. So. You know, it's kind of like phones. You got cell phones, you got digital phones, and somebody wants to use a if they can still use it rotary type phone at home. If it works, who cares? Yeah, I mean, if it works for you, it's it yeah. gets you where it gets you where you're going, which is making a call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. So anyway, well, if, that, if that rotary phone had David Sutherland art on it, I'd consider it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of Dave Sutherland art, Liz, I was cleaning out my game bookshelf. Oh, I found you, you found some. <laughs> well, I found that miniature we bought of the horned demon idol from the player's handbook cover. Oh yeah. So we need to get that assembled and painted sometime, <laughs> so I can sit it proudly on my bookshelf. Okay. Anyway, well, y'all. Somebody just put a picture of one of those up on Facebook, and it's just gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, if you can get it done right, Egg of Coot. We were thinking about asking to get painted sometime. We need to do that to get it done correctly. Is he local to you, or do you have to send? Oh God, no, he's in Canada. (laughs) Okay. But he is a fantastic mini painter. So it'd be worth the cost. Yeah. So anyway, let's move on to our emails then. All right. Alrighty, we've got a lot of emails to get through today. And Vic Shade has competition. Woohoo! <laughs> who's the first? Who's the first one? Our first one is from Nathan Bouvier. I hope I am pronouncing that correctly. Just a um, reference: if if you have a name that you're afraid we may not be able to pronounce correctly, uh, send us the phonetics along with it so we don't screw it up. <laughs> Otherwise, we just have to guess. We just have to wing it. <laughs> Isn't that right, Jim Wampler? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or call yourself John Smith. Or, or come on the show, and third or fourth time you're on the show, they'll get it right. And That's right. Sooner or later. You know, we're slow, but we get there. <laughs> it took me anyway. a while to get Night Shyamalan, so. <laughs> Nathan's first email is about Rahasia. And for those of you who may be concerned, there's going to be some spoilers about the B7 module in this email. So promise not to use Crispy's phrase. Yes. But we all know what it is. Oh, I don't know. I want to know. We'll tell you later. Okay. (laughs) It's something for the witches. Yeah. Personally, I think it's charming, but okay, fine, go. Well, it seems to upset some people, so. So, wimps. What are you listening to this for? Wimps. Anyway. Something that rhymes with witches. <laughs> who are the people who are complaining about it? Go ahead. Okay. Nathan writes, Greetings, Saber Die staff. Hi. I've been, I've been enjoying your show since last May or so, along with a couple of others from Wild Game Productions. So I've been playing a lot of catch-up on past episodes. Are there other shows on Wild Games production? I hear that there are. <laughs> I recently listened to the episode where you reviewed B7, Rahasia, and I wanted to share with you my thoughts. I ran my party through Rahasia using the Mincer rule set about a year ago, and it took a couple of sessions for their 5PC party to go through it, and overall they had a blast. It was a bit different from the other modules they had played. More traps, more thinking, and surprises. Now, here's where the spoilers come in. I like them thinking modules. <laughs> After the cleric disappeared in one of the teleporting traps, they always threw rocks at every dead end. 
They discovered, after two party members had been knocked down, that missile weapons can be a good friend. They were good about not killing the brainwashed elves, and once they got into the lower levels, they found even more challenges when the thief and magic user were turned into statues. Oops. Yeah. When more the cleric- rocks to throw. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> when the cleric went the wrong way on the teleporter maze and had to face a green dragon by herself, she hey. won initiative and ran. <laughs> That was the right move. Yes. (laughs) In the end, the party was successful. You know how they cured the brainwashed elves? They threw rocks at them. (laughs) (laughs) I can just see the – he runs the other teleport, get there just to take a rock between the eyes when you get there. (laughs) (laughs) The few faults I've found with the module was that there were some tricky parts for lower-level PCs, despite it being for one to third level. I would almost recommend it for levels 2 to 4 or 3 to 5, as my PCs were all third. Another part was the sheer number of NPCs who can slash will join the PC's party. So my party had around 3 or 4 freed at the end. Oh, boy. It was probably a compensation mechanic built into the game, Mm. into the module. You know, it's hard, but you've got a lot of... Meat shields. <laughs> <laughs> While I did find it a bit railroady, I think that is in part because the original, and please correct me if I'm wrong, was an RPGA module meant for tournaments. Overall, I and my players did enjoy the module. Our current campaign is made of people new to RPGs, and I'm using many of the B series modules all put together with a connected plot line of my own. Not B1 through 9. <laughs> My connector is through B12, as I feel wow. the Queen is a great behind-the-curtains villain. Wow. The PC cleric started out being led through a modified non-solo B-solo Ghost of Lion Castle. The rest of the party was introduced, and they went hunting Bargle for killing the cleric Alina from Yay. the Red Box, using the dungeon from the DM's Red Box book. The trail led them towards B2, but sidetracked through other modules, including the various Bs, though not in sequence, including Rahasia. I continue to look forward to your shows. Keep up the great work. You know, that's a good uh, plot thread. Yeah. Um, you know, for those who may, who may know him, Nathan is known as Boov on OSR Gaming and the Piazza. Well, you know what? Um, I was thinking because when we did... Did we do um, Rage of the Rakasta? No. I don't think I don't, so. I don't think so. Okay. Because I was thinking, because when I was doing it, I liked Rage of the Rakasta, Rakasta cat people for Thunder Rift, basic slash everything. They have a little, you know, community there. And the guy who was sending him on the, uh, the uh, adventure trying to save the Rakasta and all this stuff was working for the bad, was a bad guy. And I thought he was kind of a weak bad guy. And so I came up with the backstory where he was working for Bargle because mm-hmm. at the time in Mistara, Bargle is working for the iron. What's his name? Um, the iron ring slavers, not the, no, uh, the black, the black, uh, no, no, uh, what's that? What's that country next to Karamikos? Who's the bad guy? The the, the black castle. Taco. 
Yeah, Taco. <laughs> yeah, Taco. Anyway, he was working for him, according to the Mistara stuff. So I said, you know what? I'm going to make it that he discovered Thunder Rift. And later on in the chronology of Mistara, he gets thrown over by the halflings with Duke Stefan's backing. So he knows when it hits the fan, maybe I could take over this place. And when it hits the fan, I could just boogie off onto Thunder Rift and live there and take that over and rule it. Boogieing Bargle. Yes, Boogieing Bargle. And so I thought, <laughs> this guy, the Rakasta who would be working for him, helping him conquer for some of the reason, and now this, this, this sort of fits in. I like it. I like it. <laughs> anyway, I'm talking too much. Well, I wish I could contribute to the conversation, but we never played further than V2, so I feel like I'm listening to the third season of Game of Thrones. I just don't know what's going on. <laughs> that would be the first season for me, because I don't watch Game no. of Thrones. <laughs> I've played several of the Bs, but I've never really been into Mistara, so I'm kind of lost, too. So, But it it, it sounds like uh, uh, Mr. Bouvier is uh, an excellent DM, though, because he's got it figured out. Yeah, he got, he got it going on, man. Yeah. Well, that's the beauty of having totally new people. Is you can really run some of the classics. Yeah. And they get to experience it. You get to see them experience it for the first time, which is really cool. Yeah. It, is. it is tricky the other way because there were uh, players last night that uh, knew I'd played in Expedition to Barry Peaks before. So whenever they didn't know what was going on, they'd just look at me. And <laughs> I, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> the magic of the Elder Gods is here. You know, that's yeah. as far as I would go because I'm not going to metagame. Yeah. My character knows nothing. I don't know what you're looking at. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. Uh, when I was doing the play test for <clears throat> my module, Shadows of the Halfling Hall for Castles and Crusades. I think Liz played through it three times, and she managed <laughs> to avoid metagaming all, you know, both times for the replays. Well, I, I, would, I refuse to be party leader. Which and, helps. Yeah, so, and I basically would almost never give opinions about anything. <laughs> so I think we should do this. Okay. <laughs> anyway. I, I know I do that in my basic game. It says, I'm running Willie and Schmini. It says, okay, who's up front? Not me. <laughs> I'm in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for the email, Boof. Thank you, Boof. Uh, I had to trim it slightly for length, but I hope I still managed to get all of his major points through. So. Mike the Boof Bouvier, yeah. Yeah. Word. <laughs> Word up. Zoot or lures? Okay. Home slice. Home slice. Too Anyway. <laughs> Jim, hit us with an email. Clint, we, Clint and I were talking before the show, and he busted on me for calling him Home Slice. And I'm like, I'm playing with kids at the table, so I just pick up bad habits. I can't help it. I actually had had a character. I was running a modern game, and I had a character refer to uh, someone as Home Slice. And this girl just burst out laughing. She's like, that is not real. Like, it is real. It is, I swear. It's... I keep thinking they're talking about Homestar Runner, so, okay. But then this was also the girl who, who tried to argue to me that Reagan was never shot. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah. 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 He ju they just sent him to the moon, which was faked also. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, she wouldn't believe it because Reagan was still time. alive at that oh. time. It's like, well, well he wasn't killed. He I didn't was say shot. he was killed, Don. I said he was shot. R remind me again, what are you a professor of? <laughs> yeah. Well, nobody. 
Morons, oh, I guess. Apparently, <laughs> I'm a, I am, I am a professor of how all of reality has been manipulated by the Freemasons. <laughs> <laughs> Elaborate plan to rule the world. Anyway, yeah, as you see, the first time I stayed a weekend with the guy, he greets me at the door with this pyramid on his head. <laughs> <laughs> with a big eye. Hey, that was my Sunday best pyramid, too. Oh, yeah, you Sunday best. Around daily pyramid. You're lucky you saw me Sunday. During the week, I wear tinfoil. So. Yeah, that was just my tinfoil pyramid that I wear during yeah. the week. <laughs> anyway, Jim, hit us with an email. All right, next email from Vic Shade, and it looks like da, da, on da, 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 episode sorry. 11. Man, that's, that's like the, just that. Just that guy's name makes me want to play gangbusters. Hi. <laughs> Vic Shade 005. Vic Shade, private eye. Who are you? Shade. Vic Shade. The city. <laughs> My, the city. <laughs> so when we can't mispronounce your name, we'll make fun of it. <laughs> there you go. We no, I think it's a cool name. It's, it's like Mike Hammer, you know? Yeah. yeah it's, it's a PI name. I don't think it makes fun of it. <laughs> okay. Mr. Shade writes, uh, about episode 11, I like the idea that DM Glenn mentioned about only getting XP for treasure when the treasure is spent. It would at least create a balance of sorts between rich characters and powerful characters. I often feel like high-level characters are so wealthy that there would really be no need to ever try to acquire more. Since I use Mastara setting for my OD&D games, my economic structure is fully detailed with taxes and coinage from nation to nation. Uh, and here's the uh, setting I haven't played in, so I'm going to mispronounce it. The Derokin Gazetteer. You got it right. Oh, yay! The Derokin <laughs> Gazetteer is especially useful as it covers all the common trade routes across the known world and allows for a progression through merchant levels as you buy low and sell high across the realm. And no merchant progression does not in any way detract from your normal character progression. All of these DM tricks to balance PC wealth are also great plot hooks. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, <laughs> telling the players that shipments of rubies from the local clan of dwarves has lowered the value of the precious gems and that they would have to travel across the Dark Forest to get a fair price is an excellent motivator to get the characters into the Dark Forest. What <laughs> adventure you have there? Or to go to a game of Monopoly. <laughs> uh, the best part is that the treasure offered is actually the same treasure you already gave them on a previous adventure. Yeah, see, that's good DMing there. Double up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm thinking of, Liz. Yes. <laughs> Save uh, our copper village. We will pay you 10,000 gold <laughs> in copper. Which we don't figure out that it's in copper until we've done it. <laughs> No, you can't buy our burrows. We need them for the mines. So you have 10,000 gold of copper. Good <laughs> which, luck. Which is, which is what, 10 times heavier than just yeah. gold? Yeah. We, we, just have, we just have to have a money changer in town who charges <laughs> 75%. So Yeah. Or, or you could spend half of it on the carts and horses you need to haul it. That's <laughs> yes, we'd have to haul, haul half of it down in order to buy the carts and horses to bring up to haul the other half. We want a cart and horse, and uh, we got copper. Well, I don't take copper. <laughs> what do you mean I don't take copper? <laughs> anyway, sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, he says, uh, by the way, I can't wait to door tax my PCs. Uh, thanks for the tip on the seventh sentence. Seven sentence NPC. Yeah, I'm always looking forward for articles like that. 
I pulled out my Dragon Magazine archives and tagged issue 184. I'll be reading it this week and making some up some index cards for this weekend's games. Right on. I couldn't really pick a favorite Dragon Magazine. I always just saw them as more rules, which I really don't need. I like the Voyage of the Princess arc feature because I am a Mastara fanboy and interested in anything Mastara. I also like the Bazaar of the Bazaar for new magic items to confuse players who had the books memorized. Here, here. I only collected dungeon or dungeon mag. I only collected dungeon magazine, and I would say I am a much bigger fan of that than Dragon. I love reading how other people design scenarios and plucking bits and pieces of them to weave together in my campaigns. I find it incredibly useful when I am running something that is in a culture I am unfamiliar with, like Arab nations or Mongol steppes. I ran a group of immortals through Mythic Greece and found a few dungeon issues very useful for classical-themed encounters that don't have the standard token-flavored taint to the monsters and magic. Uh, what a thoughtful email. Um, glad to see new episodes still filling up in my uh, Zypod queue. iPod, he probably meant. And uh, I have been listening to Thaco's Hammer as well, and I will be posting on the forums at OSR Gaming once I lurk for a while and get a feel for the place. Thank you, Vicky. Cool. I suppose Zypod might be the name of a podcast collector. Podcatcher type program. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. I mean, we don't use it, but yeah, it could very well be. Yeah. Maybe he borged a Zune and an iPod together. Mm, maybe. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad you like the Seven Cents PC part uh, article. And in that issue 184, that one's the best one, but all of them are good. All about running bad guys and things like that. It's just a lot of good articles in there. Uh, okay. Well, thanks for the email, Vic. Sure. And uh, what else? Was, oh, um, by the way, well, I'll tell you after the show. Never mind. Okay. Well, Glenn, you get to read the next one. It's Vic Shade again. Okay. <gasps> wow. Imagine that. It seems like that, we just heard from him. Yeah, How did deja that vu. Work? Okay. He's, a, he's, he's basically... Uh, Reviewing our shows on episode 12 on oh, rules. Oh, God, that was. <laughs> Waterborne adventures are covered in Cook's expert rules in chapter nine. You mm, should. Yeah. It has everything for ship to com, ship to ship, probably ship to ship combat and exploration. Underwater combat is covered in the rule cyclopedia in a very small section on page 115. I found it in the index. I had thought they were accompanying art, but I must be thinking of a module. The real deal for underwater rules is Module X-7, the War Rafts of Kron, which is TSR-9079. It has an underwater rules section right at the beginning with notes on movement, drowning, light and sound, spell effects, and gear. I would also recommend X-6 Quagmire to anyone looking for ideas. It has a lot of underwater encounters and some cool magic items for underwater exploration. Yeah, we need to get back to the X modules sometime. Yeah, we, we do. We barely touched on those before yeah. we stopped. Yeah. Well, I tell you, um, he's got good ideas here. Um, and uh, I'm sort of treading water because I lost my place. Uh, okay. <laughs> on underwater magic. My bad. That's a, that's okay. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm in the other email. There we go. <laughs> in underwater magic, module X7 seems to agree with the AD&D DM's guide in most cases. Underwater fireballs deal only half damage from steam and boiling water. Underwater lightning creates a blast sphere. There's As it also, should. There's also a 
couple of cool water ball spells in Pathfinder RPG. I know it's not your system, but when I played only OD&D as a kid, we mixed in anything we could get our hands on from articles and modules to even RPGs from other companies. That is very old school. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and he, he's check out these spells at, and he gives us a, a, a an address on the web for Pazio, Pathfinder, etc. Spent spell We'll try and put that in the show announcement. Yeah. Liz, remind me. Right. And he gives us a list of spells from there that could be adapted. Um, from Hydraulic Push, Slipstream, Aquapus Orb, Hydraulic Torrent, Geyser, Fluid Form, Vortex, Sea Mantle, and Tsunami. Magical that feels magical, not hard science. Ah, the good old days. Tsunami in, in lieu of Meteor Swarm, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you, 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 if you Meteor Swarm first and it comes from space, you get the Tsunami. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Waterball Swarm. <laughs> oh, on seagoing knowledge, for a one-shot, just fake it. But if you're going to have a merchant going or pirate ship, pirate-based group with regular access to the sea, get some source books. Read up on it, just as a DM would read up on any setting he wanted to run, even even if you use a real-world source like the Mariner's Guide to Nautical Information. You can get it at Amazon for about 20 bucks, and it is more info than any supplement, plus it's not any, any setting-specific. That was brought to you by Amazon, not endorsed by Saverdyne. Yeah. On Spelljammer, I disagree about it working best as its own thing. I have mixed Spelljammer adventures into my regular campaigns many times as one-shots, but I have only ever run one Spelljammer campaign. I like having a ship show up to be, or be found and have the PCs facing humanoid races as pirates or a flying ship of undead, well, there's a thought, or taking them off their home and allowing them to go on an adventure on the moon. All great for one-shots and stories that no one in the local, at the local tap room will believe. Also, I don't recall ever seeing anything in my 11 books and box sets about being able to play Beholders or other overpowered rations, but I could be wrong. At the very least, I can say that, as always, it depends on DM discretion. You should have to be a, running a heck of a game to have Beholders and Illithids and Vampires running around. It's a thought worth considering, and a, but a fun one, though. Hmm. I like the idea of a ship full of undead. Maybe not in space, but... Yeah, well, we actually are fighting ships full of undead in the 2E game right now. Oi. On aquatic monsters, I would say that the appearance of aquatic ghouls, aquatic trolls, aquatic elves is a more is in, and more is showing the GM that you can... DM, that you can easily make any creature aquatic by adding a cool feature. Purple worms and bloated, drowned zombies are easy, but imagine a living statue that is made of coral and causes bleeding wounds, or an aquatic medusa with eels for hair. Shrieker algae! Insect swarms made of lamprey worms! How about a wide, flat carrion crawler like a manta ray? All good <laughs> stuff, and depending on how you will be adventuring in the sea, being paralyzed or turned to stone could be a big problem. Still loving the show. You guys are the best. Fish aid. Thank you, Vic. Well, thanks for the email. That's a good well, idea. Some of those. I want to. I want to play in this guy's system. <laughs> His campaign, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it just it was making my heart go all fuzzy because we used to do stuff like that. I mean, before there were spelljammer settings, we made our own ship and our my. Uh, uh, brother was actually our first DM, and he just loved to make rules and Borg stuff in from other games we would find. Here, here. Very well done. Very well played. Liz? Cool. Well, um, also, regarding the Spelljammer thing, 
it's been ages since I've played. I do remember that there was at least an NPC in one of the things about a beholder bartender oh. who was who yeah, was the um, Rock of Brawl, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, beholders were running around. They, I don't recall. They may have just been an NPC race, but of course, NPCs never got NPC races <laughs> or classes never got used. Oh no! But yeah, I agree. That's one of the things that's way overpowered. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> our next email is from Benjamin Handelman. Hi Ben. Hi Ben. Benjamin writes. You mentioned in the last podcast about possibly covering this if people contacted you and were interested. I am personally very interested. I have the white box version of the little brown books, and I've been thinking of using either Swords and Wizardry white box or Labyrinth Lord with the original edition characters. But having read through them, I still haven't been able to decide yet. While I would love to just use the original game, I can't really ask other players to fork over the money for 40-year-old brittle copies that wouldn't survive multiple game sessions. I would love to hear your thoughts on the Labyrinth Lord supplement and how well it captures the feeling of the original game. Okay. Well, thank, that's you, one. thank you, Ben. So we have a vote for... <laughs> what do y'all think? One more vote and we cover it? Two? We're yeah, covering, sure. What, what are we covering again? What, what are we voting on? Uh, what, when, whether or not to cover the Labyrinth Lord original edition book. Oh, I guess so. Oh, original edition companion, whatever it's yeah. called. Yeah. Well, sure. Want to basically make Labyrinth Lord like original D&D. What the hell? All right. I, I, think that, <laughs> I think it's a good rule set. Okay. Yeah. Although, although in specific answer to his question, if he really wants to emulate the little brown books, it should definitely be swords and wizardry. <laughs> And let's note that uh, Wizards of the Coast is doing a reprint of the original box set with uh, yes. supplements for, what is it, around $120? Uh, yeah, something yeah. like that. On the other hand, you know, that might be something else that Benjamin's not too keen on asking his <laughs> players. That's to, true. <laughs> it gets right yeah. away from the brittle thing. And and, uh, and, uh, and you'll, you'll get cover artwork that is not ripped off from Marvel. So. <laughs> hey, that Eldritch Wizardry cover was original. All right, all right, fine, fine. <laughs> I'm thinking of the first book with the horse yeah. the guy and the horse. and First three books. <laughs> yeah, the first three books. But yeah, if at least one more person will email us asking us to cover it, we promise we will. Come on, so, come on, come on. Come on, on. Save or Die podcast. Ah. Guys, 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 don't beg. We're, we're too good for that. Oh, I, I've I'm got it right. Too, I'm not too good. Okay. Please. <laughs> please. <laughs> Am I allowed to write emails to the show? Oh, sure. <laughs> no, <laughs> we can't write them. We'll just break your fingers afterwards. Please do a show about Dungeon Crawl Classics. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a clone. All right, next. Jim? Oh, I'm up. Classics land. Yeah, yeah, I got off, sorry. Uh, Ryan writes, Hi guys, I recently rediscovered all of my D&D Moldvay rules collection in my garage. Oh, that's a good day. And shortly after, found your podcast. 
As a father of a nine-year-old son, I'm excited to get back into the hobby after a 30-year hiatus. My son has shown interest and has actually asked if he could learn how to play. I was wondering if you could recommend some great websites for brushing up on the classic rules, as well as any advice you may have for teaching playing with kids. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Do it, do it, do it. I can live vicariously through you. I seem to recall there's a pretty nice article in Gygax Magazine issue one about gaming with your kids. Is right. that not so, Jim? That is that is so, and uh, there will be a very similar article in issue two coming out here in about a month. Oh, that is coming out. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. There will be an issue two. We promise. Hey, no. Just the art director. Don't give me a hard time. Yeah. Okay, so, um, so, so Corey, Corey. Cook... <laughs> Um, well, go to the Goblin Illinois Games Labyrinth Lord website and download a free PDF, you know, if you need a new copy or, you know, for whatever reason, want something a little more electronic. Yeah. As far as for gaming with your kids, um, Glenn, or in that case, grandkids. (laughs) (laughs) Do it. I mean, if your kids are any kind of smart like my grandkids are, they'll pick it up like that. Um, I was going to say, yeah. you know, Gage is what, nine or ten? He's nine now. Yeah, so he's about the same age as Ryan's just, son. And- that's right. And he, if before he stopped playing, he loved it. He was so, I mean, he played with the big boys. He played with my Saturday group, you know, mm-hmm. and he was really good. He caught on to that like, like fish to water, you know. Wiredmagazine.com has a column, a regular column with different writers called Geek Dad, and there are some good articles in there about this exact topic. And Bard, uh, they, Bard Magazine? Wired. Wired. Wired, thank you. So Wired.com, and the column is called Geek Dad, and uh, it's full of just good tips for uh, how to simplify the mechanics so that uh, 9- to 12-year-olds don't get bored. I know there's a, couple of, there's a couple of games out there that are rewrites and simplifications for kids, but I can't remember the names of them right now. Yeah, go to osrgaming.org or dragonsfoot.org. Yeah. Those are great places. You can ask questions. You'll get plenty of feedback. Yeah. Get more more leads than you know what to do with. Yeah. And get the next generation started. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Because we're not getting any younger. That's right. I gotta pass my, gotta pass my dice down to somebody. (laughs) Uh, and next email is from Joel in the bots. No, uh, Joel. Sodcasters, and I'm replying to a question you posted to your listeners many moons ago, but I only recently discovered your podcast, and strangely, I don't recall anyone answering your query, but I apologize if my message is redundant. I ran my AD&D group through B1 in search of the unknown without any modifications to monster stats. I think we can all agree that at low level, the monsters from classic D&D are not that different from AD&D monsters, you think. Besides, <laughs> the PC spent far more time thinking their way through tricks and traps and fighting monsters. I imagine the most of the classic DSR modules can be run interchangeably between basic and advanced D&D without too much massaging, and many people probably use them that way. Oh yeah! Back in the day, back in the day, we not only did that, we never questioned it or thought twice about it. Yeah, I mean, I can't count the number of times I either ran or played in B one or B two, being run with AD and D or 
say, the Giants series with Classic. I mean, yeah. just, you, you didn't worry about it. I, I got a couple of AD&D modules at the ready here, just in case I need them if I want to play, you know, with kids and stuff for, for basic. Mm-hmm. As a side note, the party discovered a gem that teleported them from In Search of the Unknown to the Hackmaster module, Quest for the Unknown. Ooh. <laughs> Memorable moments from that game include a heated exchange between the mapper and everyone else, and a critical miss that ended with the cat in a jar being smashed over the head of the fighter. <laughs> Until the next save, Joel. Thank you, Joel. Well, that's because the hack factor in Hackmaster modules is higher by definition. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, twenty hit point kick. Boy, boy, that'll that'll throw throw him a loop <laughs> for a loop. <laughs> yeah. And a jar with a cat on him. <laughs> yeah. Break. In in case of emergency, break jar. <laughs> cat emergency. Yeah. What? Well, what? How? How? I, See, he needs to write us another email and just explain that story behind that. Yeah, we need details. Write us yes. again. <laughs> what led to the cat in the I jar mean, being I'm, smashed over the head of I'm the thinking, spider? I'm thinking really pissed off magic user who's cross with his familiar. <laughs> or somebody has got a little too exuberant in canning. <laughs> Let me guess. Jim wants to play in his campaign, too. <laughs> I just want to know how the cat got in the jar. Cats and jars. They got cats and jars in this game. I want to play. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So anyway. Yes. Next. Our next email is from DM Jason. Oh, no. Not to be confused with DM Jason, who used to be on RFI. This Wait is a completely different. Um, Glenn just read. Oh, sorry. My bad. Or didn't you? Who did? Come again? Did no, you just did you read Joel? Yeah, no, you read Joel, so it's me. Yeah, my bad. Okay. Cat in the jar threw me off, off nah. track here. Yeah, <laughs> stop throwing those on his head, Liz. <laughs> it's a magical quantum cat. It's half dead, half not savored. Out. I'm writing up a, de- a basic spell for that. Schrodinger's jar. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on the case. Yeah. I'm gonna write that up. <laughs> okay, so. DM Jason, not RFI DM Jason, writes, Greetings to DMs Glenn, Jim, Liz, and Mike. I got first greetings. Uh, <laughs> thank you. For, yes, hi. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Questions to one and all. Question number one is in three parts. I think... Actually, I think this is probably like seven or eight questions, but anyway. Question (laughs) one, part one. (laughs) Do each of you have a favored old school artist? Yes, go on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Next question. What about their work do you find appealing as opposed to others? And finally, do you have a favorite piece or series of theirs that comes to mind? You start, Liz. Let's go. Oh, gosh. It's it's tough to decide. I, I love David Sutherland. Um, I also like Jeff Easley a lot, too. Um, but I think because I'm such a Holmes fangirl, I'm going to go David Sutherland. <laughs> um and my favorite piece would be the Holmes box cover because it was that cover that drew me to buying the game and starting out. If it had not been for the art on the box, you know, 
because I didn't know what role-playing games were or anything like that. I was a complete newbie. It was the art that drew me to buy the game and see what it was all about. Um, so I've I've got I've got good nostalgia vibes going with Sutherland. <laughs> okay. Aww. That's nice. Jim. Um. Well, when I heard the question, I thought of it in terms of back in the day, but I could answer it both ways. I mean, back in the day, for me, it was Jeff D. and uh, mm-hmm. especially in my. Uh, favorite piece of his would be the illustrations he did in Deities and Demigods. I think I found that appealing as a youngster because of the sort of comic book sensibility he, in his art just went and straight to me. Women. Yeah, that did, that, <laughs> as a young man, that didn't hurt either. But uh, I mean, there was kind of a Gil Kane, very comic book illustration uh, aspect to his style then, uh, and to some extent now that I found very appealing. But it. When I was young, I really liked Jack Kirby, and I couldn't stand Steve Ditko. And then as I became an adult, I got a whole appreciation for Steve Ditko. And so right behind Jeff D for me is Errol Otis. Back in the day, I didn't like Errol Otis's work, and now I just love it. The old stuff, the new stuff, I love it all. But And I don't know. I just had to grow up to appreciate it for some bizarre reason. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lynn? Well, Jim Holloway for the win. Uh, and it's funny, and as everything about me, I got into appreciating his art bass backwards as opposed to bass pro shop. Um, I saw, I used to see all his stuff in paranoia. He does the, for me, some of the funniest art in those books. And then later on, I thought, oh, he was at TSR, and now I'm looking through all the TSR stuff going, this is great. I love this stuff. He just got that, that sense of humor that I love. He did some early Battletech, too. Yes, he did. Uh, my favorite piece of his is, I can't remember the module number, but we covered it, and I pointed it out when we reviewed it, of the big old dungeon door and the wingman dwarf smiling with that cheesy smile and pointing to the door. <laughs> I don't I know actually, why. I actually own a Jim Holloway painting. Do you? Yeah, I yeah. commissioned him to do it. First of all, for, when I first saw it, I go, why is he drawing like circles around everybody's eyes, these black circles? And I go, oh, yeah, that's funny, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, he's cool. Mike, what about you? Uh, I guess it's a split of serious and humorous. Uh, serious, I'd have to actually go with Bill Willingham. Willingham, yeah. wow. He is good. Yeah. He is great. Good, um, good choice. Uh, particularly, uh, yeah, it's... AD&D, but it still stru- sticks out to me as the cover of Secret of Bone Hill. Yes. I really liked. Right on. Um, and for humor, Phil Folio. And of, <laughs> oh, course, of course, what's new with Phil and Dixie. Yeah. Forget all about Never it. got sex in D&D in, in, that, in the What's New comic. Well, Gygax, is, Gygax magazine is back. He may yet. <laughs> They sort of touched on it on that ill-fated book of erotic fantasy, but it, <laughs> it wasn't... And I got the PDF because it supposedly had a, a What's New with Phil and Dixie in it. And it sort of did. It sort of did. Sort of. <laughs> they only show up in one panel, but, you know. Anyway. So, okay. next question. So... Yeah. Jason's next question to us is, go with me on this one. If each of you were stuck on a desert island, which three books would you pick? With the caveat, you can't modify or veer from what is written. 
Example, if you pick Holmes Blue, then you can only advance to third level forever. Well, just a hard question. <laughs> and if the second part of question two is, what about five choices? Does this change the first three? Yes. Well, if I wanted to pick nits, I would say that in the Holmes book... It states that you can modify or get rid of rules altogether if they don't work for your party. So by modifying or veering, I'm actually following the instructions in the rule book. But there's a more elegant way along, to do this. Going that, was along, like, that was like watching an Olympic gymnast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but going along with the spirit of the question, I would still pick the Holmes book, but my second Books would be the AD&D Player's Handbook and the Monster Manual. Ah. Because Holmes Basic says if you want to continue on, go to AD&D. So by following the rules as written, I would go after a third level, pop over to AD&D, and use the progression charts in the Player's Handbook. See, another way to do that would have been Holmes, then Moldvay Cook. Yeah, but Holmes Cook. doesn't tell you to go to Moldvay Cook. Holmes well, tells Cook, you. The early Cook gives information in it to what if you're using the quote-unquote blue basic book. She's, she's, that's she's, true. She's being lawful good, not lawful neutral. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Jim. That's it. Alignment wars. That's the problem. Okay. I, I just love how only a gamer would ask which three game books would you take to the island because I'm thinking, well, a survival guide would be good. But, uh, <laughs> like, ridiculous. Yeah, just say books. Co- complete works of Shakespeare. That might be handy, <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, I mean, it would be easy. I don't even think about it. The three core first edition AD&D books. Boom, boom, boom. Done. Okay. Five? Oh, five, uh, two more? Um, uh, if you did have five, would it change your first three picks? No. Um, I'd go with DDs and Demigods and Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG. Victim. Oh, that reminds me. I didn't go on to five. Um, it would not change my first three, but I would add on um, Call of Cthulhu hmm. and the Cthulhu by Gaslight supplement. Nice. Well, I, I also went for height in case an airplane comes by. I can stand on that rescue plane. <laughs> you could also kill a wild animal that was attacking you with That's the right. DCC book. So yeah. I suppose it is rather multi-purpose. Still Hero 5, I bet, beats it. But anyway, <laughs> Glenn? I was going to throw you under the bus first. Okay. Um, <laughs> This is this is pretty simple. Rule Cyclopedia, Creature Catalog, the denim version, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Creature- now you really will want to bedazzle this one because then oh. you use the reflection of the sun off of the bedazzled cover yeah, to, to signal for help. To signal for help, passing ships or planes. Of course. And let's see, B2, uh, hmm. um, keeping the Borderlands, very versatile module, you can do anything with it. No, true, okay. true. Five, five, I would not change my first three, but I would add champions 
Champions 4th Edition, and Classic Enemies. So Ah. I want to run Supers. That's the two books I need right there. You just want Clown. Thank you. (laughs) Who doesn't want Clown? (laughs) Thank you, Glenn. I got all focused on D&D. Okay, Deities and Demigods is out. Gamma World is in on my list. There you go. Mike was was still waiting for me to say Toon, so okay. Well, you don't need the book. You've got it. You've got the spirit of it locked in your head. So. Yes, 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 yes. All right, Mike, you're up. Uh, three books: Holmes, Cook, Early Cook Expert, and Crayon. AD and D Monster Manual because it's really more original than AD and D anyway. Okay, five. Five books, uh, same, except I would add on uh, probably Cthulhu by Gaslight. Yes! Nice. I can get both my, my horror and my Victorian fix there. And the fifth book would be... Two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Um, wow. Uh... Fatal? <laughs> that I could use to kill people. You could use that to make a fire to signal planes. It burned me that. off the island. You could use that book to make other people want to kill themselves. Mm. Oh. Okay, Chathula by Gaslight, you got one more. Uh, Victorious, so I'd have some supers rules. Oh. Yeah, if, Victor- if, I, if Victorious was finally out in print, that would definitely be one of my picks. Yeah. But, yes. God, this could this could be a TV show. This makes me want to be shipwrecked with you guys, and instead of like building, <laughs> you know, the, having the professor build a bamboo car, we'd make a bamboo gaming table. And so, yeah. what's what is this Survivor TSR? We're I was just carving, thinking we could have a reality show, gamers on a desert island, and <laughs> carving dice out of coral. And I'm a DM. Get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, next question. Okay, and our final question. How would slash do you describe alignment to first-time players? And B, how does this vary between the three-point of Cook Moldvay Mincer as opposed to five-point for Holmes? It doesn't. No. (laughs) That is a good question. You ought to have fun with that, Liz. You know, yeah, but I, w- I was I was first on the other two questions. Someone else should be first on this one. Okay, Glenn, you're first. Uh, it's <laughs> funny because I had to do this for Gage. Um, alignment is not, you know, when you think about it, alignment is not that easy to describe to even a, a regular adult person. Um, unless we're yeah, smart. Yeah, it's one of those things. Unless we're know, smart like us. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> don't ask me to describe it, but I know it when I see it. Right. I I just told him it was a moral compass. What's a moral compass? Well, see, you know what a <laughs> compass is? It's like knowing the difference between right and wrong and how you deal with it. That's what I told him. This is easy. Um, I mean, the Internet is full of these alignment charts, and that's what I have the most success with with players is just saying, okay, alignment is like this, and use like superheroes or pop culture right. characters yeah, for I reference. Yeah, I use examples too. Yeah, just like they do in the, in the D&D books, you know. Like, you remember AD&D, they said, oh, Robin Hood is chaotic good, and this guy is neutral evil, and this guy is, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, the superhero analogy is good. Um, like lawful good. He says, well, I don't want to, what's lawful? You know, and 
I'm dealing with 3.0. So what's lawful? Uh, Batman. Well, right. Or what, what exactly mm-hmm. does true neutral mean? Well, it's Treebeard in Lord of the Rings. You know, I'm not on anybody's side because nobody's on mine. Yeah. Now, you see, I would say Batman is chaotic good. And that well, was, is part no, of the problem. No, if you're using the three-point system. Oh, the three-point, yeah. He's like uber lawful, but so is Superman, only in a different way. But he likes Batman, so I said Batman. So Okay. So. So. Well, the, the important thing is to be able to easily and handily communicate the idea to the players. Yeah, right. exactly. He said, what's chaotic? I said, Freakazoid. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and... Yeah. Uh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Glenn. And how does this vary? Well, three-point versus five-point versus nine-point. I mean, it's just adding more examples. Yeah, I think depending on the age of your first-time player and what they're – you know, what they're already interested in to begin with, you know, that helps you to decide, you know, what examples am I going to use – to make it clear to them, you know, um, whether it's superheroes or fantasy characters or, you know, just if they're very existential and philosophic, you know, try to, you know, describe it as far as, you know, the moral choices of Plato or Aristotle or, you know, stuff like that. Um, I would say my my standard is, you know, you've got good, evil, neutral. Um, if I'm using the three-point, I don't call it lawful, chaotic, neutral. I would just say good, evil, neutral. Yeah. And that makes it easier. It certainly makes it easier for me because I can be very literal-minded when it comes to that. <laughs> so... You're good I'd, enough. Yeah, you know. And smaller and smaller kids, you have to explain what alignment is. Yeah, it yeah. depends on yeah the age of the person you're explaining it to. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, and if you're if you're playing with a young kid, I think it's better to say good and evil rather than lawful and chaotic, because yeah. it's easier for them to understand that. And like Glenn was saying. You know, both Batman and Superman are good, but they act in very different ways. But they would still be lumped under the subset of good. Of yeah. law, yeah. Yeah. What's um, chaotic neutral, Uncle Jim? Well, Jack Sparrow. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much No, no, right. five. Five alignment. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Thank you, Jason. Uh, who was that again? Oh, I'm sorry. We got one more question, don't we? Uh, uh, no, no. That was, that was the last of Dean Jason's the questions. There's, oh, there's actually, a, no. There, there is one more. On the next yes. page. I'm very sorry. That's okay. Um. Question number four, he says, are there any non-RPG reference or non-fiction books that you've used as sources of inspiration for your campaigns or house rules? And I think Mike should start with this one. Yeah, like a bazillion, right? <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. Everything yeah, what doesn't he use? <laughs> Gibbons, Decline and Fall, the Roman Empire, to Terence Wise's uh, Life in a Medieval Barony. Um. Wow, the use of Vidal of sixteen oh three, describing feudal law. I mean, it's wow. Um, as far as fiction goes, there's 
you know, historical novels. And I may get a lot of crap for it, but I like David Eddings's works, particularly the Illenium and the Belgariad. I like them too, but people will cut me more slack on that because I'm a girl. Mm, I'll get more flack because I usually do. <laughs> uh, gosh, you know, there's so much you can use. I mean, we could do a show just on what books we can <laughs> inspire. So, Jim, you're next. All right, anybody says. And McCaffrey, I think I'm going to shoot him. <laughs> well, the the question was nonfiction. I mean, if it was fiction, mm. there's a. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. I I initially read it the same way, and I'm thinking, well, mainly as a DM, mostly of what I've run is Gamma World, and so it was just you know the suggested reading and the preface. Uh, Commandy, Last Boy on Earth comic was great for that, but uh, as far as uh, reference in uh, nonfiction books. Not so much for me because that's the kind of information in a fantasy campaign or or a science fantasy campaign I tend to just uh, make up. Except for maps in Gamma World, it's 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 great to be able to go grab you know real world maps. But uh, in, I'm I'm writing something now and and for uh, research for the writing you know in 2013 I just use the internet. Yes. Sorry to yeah, but that's all right. Sorry, that's sorry to be a philistine, but the internet's awesome. At least you're not a luddite, so. Well, I mean, uh, you'll know what I mean, Glenn. We're, we're close enough to the same age. Back in the yes. day, when you want when you wanted to draw something and you needed reference, it was a trip to the library. Well, now you just library. Google. Yeah, I lived to the library or look for old magazines or whatever. You know, yeah, if I need to do I mean, a caricature of somebody now, I just Google images and I'm done. Yeah, it's I've like I, I, I don't I don't need a morgue anymore. It's great. <laughs> you don't need a morgue. You just go anyway. Anyway. Thank you, but I but I tend to shoot more from the hip, so not so much yeah. for reference books and nonfiction books. Okay, Glenn. Well, my two influences over my gaming for ideas and stuff is Mike Barrier's American and American cartoons and the Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Shire's Third Reich. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I think you have officially. Poleaxed Mike on your choice. <laughs> William L. Shirer, his campaign. That sounds like something I'd read in Knights of the Dinner Table. I'm yes. running a new D&D campaign, Hackmaster campaign based in Shirer works of William L. Shirer. No, seriously, I don't get it into much influence of nonfiction influence because I, I read like movie books, you know, stuff like that. So my influence is the whole big wide world of Hollywood out there and the history of film. And anything it's a whole new meaning to the term evil high priest, doesn't it? Anything, yeah. And anything I could rip off, I mean, uh, get influenced by, you know, from, from, um, you know, Star Wars to the TNT movie. But, uh, that's what I use my influence. That's how I get my influence, non-RPG-ish. Okay. And doc- oh, dude. documentaries too. I mean, I love, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they were, they were beating me up last night at the game table because I'd never seen Hawk the Slayer. <gasps> Which you guys have all seen. That You're makes, off the show. That, <laughs> that, makes, that makes two of us. You want to try me? Well, wait. The show's not done, so let me bit toward that. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have. Yeah, we're gonna have to cancel the show now because we gotta throw Glenn out too. Or we'll have to tie you to chairs and force you to watch the movie. Or that. Yeah. We could bring well, it to the con. If it's a condition of employment, I'll go watch it. I just never got around to it. No, we got it on DVD. Yeah, yeah I, I have it either. It's one of those. I'm still trying to see Crawl. 
You missed Crawl? How'd you miss Crawl? I missed Crawl? I haven't seen any of the Conan movies. I know, wow. Swords and Wizardry, when I was growing up, was like whew, right over my head. You know, but you played D&D. That was before D&D. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Film, you didn't start till your 20s. I was, I, yeah. was, I was into film way before I got into D&D. Hey, I, I may not have ever seen Hawk the Slayer, but I paid to see Willow in a movie theater, so that should count for something. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I did too. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we've paid our dues there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, if I could just figure out how to work Altman's Popeye into a D&D. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Liz? Well, it probably won't come as much of a surprise to people that most of the non-fiction reference type books that I've ever used for getting ideas for things I do tend to be art related. Um, <laughs> I have the I have a hardback eighth edition of Gardner's Art Through the Ages. Ah, excellent book. And um, that that book has taken me through many, many years of art courses and <laughs> but I'll get ideas from the various art pieces that are in the book, and a lot of times they'll go into a very brief overview of some of the history surrounding the artist and you know the time period of the pieces, and that will give me ideas too. Um, I'm not really big on reading a lot of historical texts per se, so I would say my Gardner's Art Through the Ages is a history light book that will give me springboards for ideas for things. And, That'll work. You know, even just ideas for how I want certain temples and stuff to look. You know, That'll I can work. pull from the from the Greek, Roman, and, you know, very early medieval stuff, so... I, also, I, another yeah. excellent choice to stand on top of for height while signaling a plane rescue plane. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, look, hey, look! If Sondheim can get a whole freaking musical out of a pointless painting, <laughs> you can do that with gaming. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for the questions. It was certainly enlightening. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate and, it. Jason wants to tell us, says, I've always found Save or Die entertaining and informative and sometimes a source for waxing nostalgic. Thanks for the work, DM Jason. Thank you, Jason. Remember, you. Wa- remember wax on, wax off. Wax off. Oh, you beat me to it. <laughs> oh I, I like getting good emails. Cool. Uh, next email is from Michael. Okay, Michael. Fiorentino. There you go. Fiorentino. Michael Fiorentino writes, Dear Sodcasters, hey. sometimes. Some time ago, I discovered your wonderful podcast and have been listening in on the old school goodness ever since. I must say that your podcast has quickly become my favorite. I really like each and every host and was very pleased to learn that Jim Wampler had joined the team. Hey, pat on the back. Hey. <laughs> I, I mean, thank you. Um, <laughs> I was also happy to hear that Glenn is a regular on the show, as I have been a fan of his insanity since discovering Thaco's Hammer. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You've been a fan of Insanity Discovering Thaco's Hammer, but this is your favorite show? Something's wrong here. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no. Maybe he just plays classic more than he does 2E. Oh, okay. Thaco's Hammer was the Holmes set that directed him to come to save or die. When I'm, he was- I'm sorry. I'm just, you know, <laughs> he's my baby, you know. Um, carry on. <laughs> I listen to Thaco's Hammer. It's awesome. Uh 
I enjoy it. Yes. You want to kiss some more? Okay, never mind. Uh, go ahead. Save it for after the show, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> the only critique I have concerning your hosts is that you should have more guest hosts, like full-on gamer. Oh, yeah. But otherwise, you're doing a fantastic job. Do we have him on? Um, if we have had him on, I think it's only been once. Yeah, I, I, I seem to remember the back of my head. He was back on. in the day when they were, you know, we were yeah. doing like I think we, I think the we A and just, B teams. Okay, because I remember like I think one of the hosts was missing and he was on or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Back when Liz and I for a while were only like on every other episode. Ah, yeah. Had, you know. Lives. Yeah, we get we get him and Julie or Crispy or somebody like yeah, that. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When I started listening, I listened to all three podcasts: Roll for Initiative, Save or Die, or Thaco's Hammer, and, and I could never keep track of who was on which show. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was a lot of overlap, you know. Yeah. I mean, for a while, Vince was on both. Yes. Yeah. And RFI and Glenn, of course, is on both. So you know. And don't Chris forget our wander over to all three and. <laughs> you know. And don't forget our next show, Wild Games Productions. Glenn pulls RPG stuff out of his butt. See you then. <laughs> anyway, continue. It will be audio only. Uh, the email continues so far the topics you have covered have been very enjoyable especially your interview with Jim Ward in Adventure 68 I've always I've always been a big fan of his and my wife Rebecca simply loves the original Gamma World game me too Uh, we both enjoyed the interview and we're happy to learn of Jim's new projects please keep up the fantastic work and we look forward to Adventure number 100 sincerely yours Michael Fiorentino thank you Thank you, Mike. I'll be dead by then, but okay. <laughs> Troll, Trailblades Adventures Guild, he is part of. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've always been a original Gamma World fan myself. I've I, got a I copy. I like playing that. Ton, ton of fun, ton of fun. I've got a copy, and i got a couple of the Dragon articles where they gave you more mutated monsters for Gamma World. Because there aren't enough mutated creatures. Ever. In the game. Ever. Gotta fight yeah, when you those. have anthropomorphic giant rabbits that turn metal okay. into rubber. I was going I mean, to say, if you have hoops, it. you don't need any more. That's right. Hoops <laughs> alone can mess up your work. So, oh, I've so, got a plasma rifle. No, you have a rubber plasma rifle. <laughs> so, so, you had a plasma rifle. <laughs> so, so, Liz, are you gonna t- at the con, are you going to talk Dennis into putting hoops in bunnies and burrows? No, I, I think we're – I think I'm just going to – Play the game straight as it was written. Dare we say straight? Yes. <laughs> but, you know, you um, just bat those eyes and say, can I put some hoops in here? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I already told Liz, even if they are, give her bunny ears, that's the only bunny outfit she's wearing. <laughs> no well, flavored bunny outfits for her. Well, I signed up for that game, Liz, and I'm playing at the same table you are, and I've never played before, so whatever you do, that's what I'm going to do. Neither is she. This will be my first time playing it, too. I have the rules, but I I have not played before. This will be one of those games, you know, you always just saw back in the day on Gen Con or advertised in Dragon Magazine. Just go, wow, I'd love to play that. That's why I get the Tunnels and Trolls stuff, because I'm playing with Ken St. Andre, and it's like, I've never played this before. I better bone up on it. (laughs) See, Liz, there you go, being lawful good again. You should have just said, oh, okay, that'll be great. Follow me. Yeah, yeah, do what I do. Yeah, just just don't belch or, you know, scratch your butt or anything. (laughs) Liz or Jim? Yes. (laughs) No comment. I, I, I can't make any promises. But I'm... I, I do want to say I am extremely excited to be able to play this game finally. 
when the con comes. With the guy who wrote just, <laughs> Okay. The last we have I have the last one by Aaron Ament. Next to the last one. All right, yeah. whatever. <laughs> Next to the last one. Aaron Ament. He says, although I though for some sure I thought there's English here somewhere. Uh, I thought for someone would bring up the excellent discussion of a light blooming ground flower and get away. Uh, <laughs> let's try again. I thought for sure someone would bring up the excellent discussion of alignment on easydamascom slash alignment.html. Each of the nine alignments is given a list of ten commandments and sins to give players a more exact idea of how to more precisely role-play them. Obviously, fun is the goal, but I found this a very useful resource to guide players and DMs. The list really helps the new player to pick the alignment they want to play. Cheers, Aaron. Um, Yeah, well, that shows you how much I do research on the Internet. Thank you for the website. My problem, I haven't looked at it, so I don't know exactly what it says. I looked at it. All I know is whenever you, whenever someone puts down a list of what you should or should not do for something, you immediately get 10 or 15 people who jump on and say, I disagree. Right. <laughs> well, that's where I was kind of going. It's like even the best lists, there always are a couple of things that I go, no, I don't think so. I, and I, I think that's that part little. of the issue. You know, alignment to a degree is interpretation. A lot, of, a, a lot of D&D stuff is open to interpretation. Well, they yeah, were, especially they, classic we, stuff. Yeah, I mean, after I did the gnome thing, um, Odin says, well, are you going to put this on Dragon's Foot? And it's like, uh, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> Because on your asbestos underwear first. Yes. <laughs> well, you know my theory. No matter what alignment the character is, 90% of all players are themselves chaotic neutral. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. yeah I, wow. Well, even that I wonder, you know, because there's the chaotic neutral that insists everything has to be random. True. You know, where random is the only consistency. Somebody with a chaos theory in there. And then there's ones with chaotic selfish, you know. Oh, the thieves. Well, I I went to the website that he uh, gave us, and we were talking about what's the easy way to talk about alignment. We'll just do the alignment chart with, like, pop culture characters on it. This website that he mentions is like a master's thesis with charts and tables on alignment. So for a philosophical study of the intricacies at a granular level of the nine-point alignment system, this is the website for you. If you like crunchy, it's crunchy. Remind me to put this on the announcement, too. Right. Yeah. I will uh, remind you to put everything on the announcement. Ev- absolutely everything. A complete transcript of this show. Yeah. yeah anyway. That'd be good. All right. And, and somehow to- Liz got stuck with the last email again, the other booth. I, ne- I didn't get this one, so go <laughs> ahead. Well, no, I mean just the pattern. You wouldn't have covered it anyway because you discovered this one. So <laughs> she gets rounded back on the first one. Okay, well, I was saying I never got this one sent to me. Anyway, go ahead, Liz. Take it away. All righty. All new to me. And our final email of this show is, again, by Nathan Bouvier, and it is one year's worth of feedback. <laughs> oh, boy. Get come out. Put yeah. that on your heart. Can I, can, I, yeah. can I go, like, take a leak and get a drink while before this happens? <laughs> or change my clothes, maybe? I don't know. Well, I did trim okay. it down, you know, as much as I reasonably could while keeping his content. So Let us have it. It's I, only I, a pain. I told you to go before we started the podcast. <laughs> That's right. Turn this All podcast right, right around. <laughs> yeah, pull this podcast over. 
<laughs> so Nathan writes, greetings once again, Saber Dyers. As mentioned in a previous email, I have been listening to your show for almost a year now and have pretty much caught up with all the episodes. Now I have questions, comments, and general observations to supply. Dun, dun, dun. I remember in an early episode, the gang was talking about first adventures with the group and whether or not you should let the PCs die. I am of two minds in this. In the game I'm running now, the players were all pretty much new to role-playing, so I fudged a few roles here and there in order to keep them alive. My thinking was I really wanted them to enjoy the game and not go, oh, well, I died ten minutes in, this sucks, let's go do something else. As the campaign progressed, though, the fudging became less. With a more experienced group of players, I wouldn't fudge roles at all, or only very little, since they know the dangers of the game. Another point that has been brought up is is using dragons in Holmes, Moldvay, Mincer Basic, since even low-powered dragons can decimate a party of third-level characters. What I did was have the players spy a dragon in a cave so that they could come back later when they are higher level and defeat it. Another tactic used in Thunder Rift was to gain surprise, so by the time the dragon could act, its HP was so low that the breath weapon was reduced in force. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because breath weapon is hit points. That's right. Many times it has been mentioned on what can be done with PCs who suddenly have too much treasure or an item they shouldn't have. I like the Knights the Dinner Table routine where a hireling ends up stealing it and running away. <laughs> Maybe he was a thief hired to take it or something else plot-driven. The issue of doppelgangers has been brought up in the past and how to keep the fact a PC has become one a secret. My reply is why use a PC? Again, Knights of the Dinner Table did a nice strip where B.A. talks to Bob away from the table, and when they get back, they all assume he's a doppelganger and kill Bob's character. (laughs) Why not an NPC? Then the players might not even know anything has happened before it's too late. As for... Or if they treat him like most NPCs, they just go ahead and kill him without ever knowing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and and that is of course a party that allows NPCs to come along, which yeah. we've discussed before. I have not often run into actually. As for the Thule, I love this creature too, and have used it in my campaign as a creation of the Queen CB12 that she uses as gifts for humanoid tribes she's trying to recruit. Oh, you shouldn't have. (laughs) (laughs) A fool of my very own! And I, too, think that the retro clones would benefit from a how-to-play section. I'm running a game for some students after school and hope to run one for kids at the local library. Mm -hmm. Retro clones would be a great way they can play outside of these venues. Mm -hmm. Cobalts! Oh, here's your reward for reading this long email list. Yes! (laughs) Interesting ways one could use a kobold. And I was going to mention the bandits of Bunglewood, but someone beat me to it. Is zombie kobolds! Zombie frickin' kobolds! That was me, that was not him. (laughs) Say it with me, brothers and sisters. Zombie Zombie frickin' kobolds! Can I get a witness? (laughs) Yes. Led by a kobold shaman. A psionic zombie kobold. (laughs) (laughs) To flip the tables, 
Perhaps the PCs get hired to clear out some orcs or goblinoids, and it ends up it was for some kobolds who were tired of being bossed around by them. <laughs> whack em. Whack em good. Anyway, thanks for the wonderful podcast, and keep up all the great work. Now to make the save. Nathan, a.k.a. Boove on OSR Gaming Forums and the Piazza. Thank you, Bouvier. You made your save. Yes, you did. But yeah, I mean, all too often, I've run into parties where a lot of them would just rather run two or three characters rather than have any NPCs around uh-huh. because you can trust PCs because yeah. they have PCs stamped on their forehead, you know? Yeah. So. I was talking about fudging roles for with new players. I'm toying with the idea of not fudging roles for new players in the first, say, 30 minutes. Because well, that's usually takes how long it takes them to, like, die. And just let them die, make up new characters, and then, okay, you're going to go find out what happened to this last party and then start fudging the roles, just so it's a little bit of story thing. Well, yeah, and I think part of it is, I mean, I understand the intent and I can get behind it. You want new people to try it out and at least live long enough to see what the game's like. Right. But at the same time, if... Even if they're new people, if somebody does something just patently stupid, uh-huh. and I give them the, you know, trademarked DM, are you sure you want to do that? Mm-hmm. And they do it anyway, then yeah, I, I would still kill them. Okay, well, I'd also, you know, you at that point, if it was like I said, new, and I did it that way, I may I make two characters each. Which mm-hmm. one do you want to play right now? All right, play it. And if it survives, great. Cool, fine. But, you know, I figure 30 minutes would be tops, and then, okay, take your second character. He's going to go find out what happened to the last party, or they are, rather. Maybe his brother or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Because that gives them a kind of a taste of how dangerous it is before mm-hmm. you start pulling a few of your taunches until they get up high enough level. Yeah, well, that sounds the, uh, the same 16-year-old player at our game last night that uh, I polymorphed into a rust monster on a break, this kid is 16, ex- was explaining to his friends why, because he plays in the retro D&D league at the store, so he's played a bunch of old okay. school games, and at 16, he's picked up on that without the threat of a TPK, it's not as much fun or when you win and don't die. Hmm. He's already figured out that the, the, the level of drama in the game depends on how much you feel you could possibly die. Right. Yeah. It's like stupid. playing a computer game with cheat codes. Yeah. I mean, exactly. yeah, you can you can get through it, but it's not quite as much fun. Unless it's a Lego game. Then go ahead, cheat codes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I, that wraps up our emails. Certainly does. And if uh, you want to write in, where would you write, Liz? You would write to, if I'm remembering correctly... Is it SaverDieInfo? SaverDiePodcast. SaverDiePodcast at gmail.com. Our website is SaverDie.info. Ah, crap. That's right. Or talk (laughs) to us. I knew I would get them confused. Or check check out our forums at osrgaming.org. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you want to send us a a voicemail, you can call us in at 940-536-3763 or 3SOD. I was trying to get it to spell sodomite, but I couldn't, so. And for that, we are eternally grateful. Indeed. And internally grateful, so. So. Oh, my goodness. The mailbag is empty. Yeah. 
send them, send some more folks. We'll be happy to read some more. Yeah. So as we pack the empty backpack on our backs and head down the dusty road. Yeah. How are you headed down the road, Glenn? I'm waving at you guys from a desert island with my five books. <laughs> well, sand is sand. Yeah. True. Jim? Jim? Uh, I'm building a raft to escape the island with my Dungeon Crawl Classics core book. Using it as an oar? Yes. We're using it as the raft. I'm using it as a raft. The sail might be too heavy. And still have a few chapters left to read while he's floating away. That's right. <laughs> Liz? I am leaving being carried aloft by a horde of zombie kobolds. Uh, what is the law? <laughs> Don't piss off Liz. There we go. What about you, Mike? Uh, I am running away from Beholder Bartenders from Spelljammer. I would, too. Indeed. <laughs> yes. So, I guess we'll see you again next time, I guess? Yeah, see you in episode 71, everyone. Uh-huh. Thanks for listening. That's right. Bye-bye. Good night, everybody. Good night. Reark. The Save or Die podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. The Save or Die theme is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. Nine out of ten DMs surveyed recommend this podcast for their players who listen to podcasts. Listening to podcasts over four hours in length is not normal, and you should consult a physician or at least a damn good psychiatrist. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die.